Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of podcast A Light Unto My Path. I'm your host, Howard Sides, and today we're continuing our uh, study through the book of Revelation. We are currently in chapter 14. Uh, the last podcast we covered verses 1 through 5. Uh, so today we're going to uh, pick up on the next section, which is verses uh, 6 through 13. Uh, I don't think we're going to get through all of that, but we'll give it a shot. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, chapter 14 is broken down into three sections. I'll give you that uh, once again. Uh, verses 1 through 5 talks about a special company in heaven, a special company in heaven. Verses 6 through 13 uh, describes a special commission in heaven. A special commission in heaven. And then verses 14 through 20 talks about a special command in heaven. A special command in heaven. Now here, uh, referring to our section today, the special commission in heaven is broken down into three parts. Once again, nice, neat, orderly that way. Uh, the first section is verses 6 through 7. Uh which is concerning belief. Concerning belief. Uh, the second section is verse 8, which is concerning Babylon. Concerning Babylon. And then the final section is uh, verses 9 through 13, which is concerning the beast. So, this special commission in heaven first is concerning belief. Secondly, concerning Babylon. Thirdly, concerning the beast. All right. So, uh, let's read. I'm sure we're not going to get any further than that. Let's read verses 6 and 7. Uh, there's quite a bit of information here. So, uh, we'll focus on that and we'll read more as we get that far. But, Revelation chapter 14, verses uh, six and seven. It says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. All right, so uh, this first part concerning belief, <clears throat> verse 6 will tell us, um, first of all, the nature of this gospel. And then in verse 7, we'll see the news of this gospel, the nature of this gospel and the news of this gospel. So the first thing we'll notice about the nature of this gospel is that it's eternal insignificance. Eternal insignificance. Uh, second thing we'll note about it is that it's universal in scope. Universal in scope. So eternal insignificance and universal in scope. So how is it eternal insignificance? First of all, this phrase, and I saw another angel. Now the use of an angel here to preach shows definitive proof that this is a different dispensation period than that of the church age. You said what? 
All right. In Old Testament days, prophets and angels were used for the giving of the law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 describes that. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now basically, what does that verse say? Why do we follow a law? Well, it was because of the sins that we committed. And it would be continual that we'd have to follow that law until the seed, the promised seed, which was Jesus Christ, should come uh, to whom the promise was made. And that would be where he had to uh, shed his blood to pay for those sins so that we had a way other than following the law perfectly. And mind you, you cannot follow the law perfectly. Uh, most of the law is written in the book of Leviticus. Uh, read that, and then you come and let me know that you uh, followed it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, right. Nobody can. And that's the point of it, is that God was showing man that even at our best effort, we still fall short of the glory of God. That's what Paul meant when he said, for all come short. For all means everybody. No one can get to heaven without Jesus Christ. That shedding of his perfect blood is the only way. So in the Old Testament days, it's saying there that prophets and angels brought the word. Now in the church age, angels cannot proclaim the gospel because they know nothing about it. The angels have no way of knowing anything about what they got. They can't understand it. All right. First Peter chapter one uh, talks about it a little bit in uh, verses 10 through 12. It says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. That clearly is telling us that even in the Old Testament days when the prophets uh gave these visions of the things to come about the things that would happen in the church age and uh, the coming of a savior and all that. They, uh, a lot of times they couldn't understand it, what they were prophesying. It was not their words. It was God's words. So they were just the vessel and having been, having been the vessel uh, did not mean that they understood what they were saying. Uh, even as yet uh, that which we understand today, even the angels looking at it, they desire to know what we're, they're, they're really curious about human beings. Really curious. They are. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 18, which is basically the entire chapter. <clears throat> it talks about this again. Very good information, so we're going to read it. Revelation chapter 2, no, sorry, Hebrews chapter 2. <laughs> Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? 
which at the first began to be spoken of, uh, be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sacrificeth and they who are sacrificed are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now basically what that passage is saying is basically why Christ became like man and not like angels. Because as man, he suffered like we did. He can understand why we feel like we feel, going through what we feel, and has made a way through it. Else, if he wasn't made like man, he couldn't suffer like man and die for man. If he was made like an angel, um, it would be... Well, you know, uh, he couldn't feel what we feel. All he could do is look down and, and observe it. He could only know it through knowledge, not through experience. And there is a difference. There is a, quite a bit of a difference there. All right. Again, uh, in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius wanted to know how to be saved, an angel had to tell him to find Peter to show him how. The angel couldn't tell him how to be saved. Verses 1 through 5 in Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God 
always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. So basically this angel was acting uh, like the Holy Spirit in a way. It was telling Cornelius, hey, if you want to be saved, uh, God recognizes that you're trying to be honorable, but it's not enough. Again, he tells him it's not enough. <laughs> and he tells him to send for Peter. So, in fact, uh, only a fallen angel would attempt to preach a gospel in the church age. Not a righteous angel, but a fallen angel. And that would pose, I'm sure, the question, well, does that happen? Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8 um, describes this, or talks about it. Paul says here, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So Paul is saying here, I'm shocked how quickly you turn from the gospel unto another gospel. And basically it's, there, it's not the fact that there is another there is only one gospel, but that you're turning to some other method. And then he warns them and he says, hey, if it's me or anyone else, even an angel that preaches anything other than what we've already told you, uh, let him be accursed. He's telling them, don't believe it. Uh, and that goes to that theory of these people that have these near-death experiences of seeing this light. And most of them, little, really, not all of them, but most of them live like hell and the devil. Uh, and they see this light and they think that that means that's heaven. Um, you ever saw a metal lure that's used to catch a fish? Uh, it sparkles. It shines. And when the fish looks at it, he most obviously thinks that it's something good. But in essence, he doesn't really know the details behind the shining. And so this is the same thing. God says just because it shines doesn't make it right. Think about Lucifer. This was an angel of light. He was the most beautiful angel. <laughs> Certainly, if he's the master deceiver, he could teach his followers how to jingle lights in front of us and pick us apart just like fish are caught. <laughs> no big deal to him. So uh, this is the only one of the Gospels not committed to man. Uh, <clears throat> in it there is no grace, blood, forgiveness, or redemption. There is no exhortation to worship a Redeemer, but a simple command to fear God as the Creator. So, referring to what it says here about this angel preaching this everlasting gospel, that's what this means here. This is the only gospel 
not committed to man. In it, there is no grace, blood, forgiveness, or redemption. It's not committed to salvation. It's an exhortation to worship. Uh, or There is no exhortation to worship a redeemer. It's a simple command to fear God as the creator. In other words, all this angel could do was preach that that he knew. And angels were created to what? Praise God as the creator and as their Lord. And so that's what he could preach. That's all he could preach. Okay? All right. This is the first of three angels mentioned in this chapter. Uh, the first one here offers an invitation. The second one proclaims intoxication. And then the third one warns of indignation. So this first one in here in verse uh, 6. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'd get my notes right. Uh, in offering an invitation in, in that phrase to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And, and, and that's that's what it meant there about this is the, the only gospel not committed to man uh, in that there's no grace, blood, forgiveness, or redemption. Now remember, we're in the tribulation period. Um, there is a message of salvation. Obviously, there, that would be the message that the 144,000 are preaching. But we're going here to, to something different, something totally different. This is an angel uh, having an everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. Uh, this is a message to just simply fear God as a creator. Um, that's all he's doing. Uh, this second one uh, that proclaims intoxication is uh, later on in verse 8 where it says, Because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Uh, and, and this is talking about what the harlot has done. And uh, then the third one is uh, a, a warning of indignation in verse 9. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. And, and we'll get into that detail a little bit more uh, when we get to that point. But I just want to draw out to you that there were three angels in this chapter who are, quote unquote, preaching, as it were. But, but this is what it is, not the kind of preaching we hear today. All right. Um the next phrase here, it says, fly in the midst. Uh, angel to fly in the midst of heaven. Now, flying indicates swiftness, suddenness, uh, and rapidity. Something very quick. This indicates at once the urgency to get the message out and the quickness that the response must also be. There can be no hesitation. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, 1 and 2 says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We're never promised a tomorrow. So, Continually through our life, the present is the day of salvation. We don't know when the end is. So we must act immediately. Uh, the, phrase, <clears throat> the phrase midst of heaven indicates through the air. Uh, this requires no stretch of the imagination. Uh, as satellites give us all instant contact with any point on the globe, uh, that there's going to be some method uh, that this angel spreads this message around the entire globe. Everyone's going to hear it. Now, does that mean he's going to use satellites? I, I, 
listen, with, with all of the stuff that we've seen happening in the seals and, and all of this, these asteroids and Earth blowing up and earthquakes and all that, I'm not so sure that much technology is going to be left in place. Uh, it We are told several times in the book of Revelation that there's an angel with a loud voice. Uh, define loud for me. Uh, is that something that you can clearly hear? Is that something that's going to blow your eardrums? Is that something that's heard all the way around the world? However it is, this angel has the capacity to get it out there. Whatever method it may be, we're just not told. Okay, our next phrase, having the everlasting gospel. Having here is the Greek word echo. E-C-H-O, just like we spell it, echo. And in the Greek, that word means to hold as in possession, ability, relation, or condition. Now, as it refers to possession, uh, John 14, 6 talks about that. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, there's several ways in that verse that Christ proves to us that he is the only way and that there is not another way. He says, I am the way, not a way, or some way, or part of the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then if that's not clear enough, he goes on and adds, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How can you not understand that? That's simple. No man's getting to God unless you come through me. Well, I want to try the no man cometh unto the Father unless you come through me. Well, if I do this, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. How much clearer can you make that? And yet people just refuse to, to accept it, refuse to believe it. Uh, the second part of that, the ability. John chapter 6 and verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's the authority that Christ has to save us. He has the ability of the everlasting gospel. And then that third part, relation or condition, is talked about in John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The word echo reminds us what we are to do with this gospel. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses, echoes, unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, yeah, even the places you hate, and in the people you hate, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So that's what we're supposed to do, having the everlasting gospel. And the word that we translate having from is the word echo. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do with this everlasting gospel. And in referring to that phrase, everlasting gospel, this is an ancient truth. It is not some new message. And that seems to be the thing today. Everybody's looking for something new. Everybody's wanting to try something different. Uh, listen, John Trapp tells the story of a Christian gentleman who met a Catholic on the street who pompously asked the Christian, where was your religion before Luther? And without skipping a beat, the Christian replied, in the Bible, where yours never 
was. <laughs> Again, um, let's see, I'm trying to pick it out here. Yeah, I don't know why I put this here, but I guess we're just down it down. Again, the definition of a true Christian is not one who is a Protestant. Now, you can convert from being a Protestant into being a Christian, but Christians, uh, the faith is not rooted in what we call the Protestant path. Protestants broke away from the Catholic system. They, they did not have a beginning. They broke away, but even then, they still held to some of the traditions, some of the writings, some of the ceremonies, if you will, doctrines. Uh, Christians can trace their roots all the way back here in the book of Acts to the church at Antioch, where they were first called Christians. And that was not a term of endearment by any means. It was a mockery. Yeah. Um, this word gospel. Uh, we might assume this word refers to the gospel of salvation, but now remember what we talked about, this angel can't preach a gospel of salvation. These people are past that. However, verse 7 explicitly describes the message as an announcement of judgment and the command to worship God. Although these people are unbelievers, this angel is telling them, hey, judgment's coming, you will worship God. And the Bible clearly tells us every man's going to bow his knee sooner or later. Um, this word gospel, it comes from the Greek word euangelion, euangelion. That's E-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-O-N. And the definition means a good message or good news. And it's where our word evangelism also comes from. Now, while the good news that we know of today is, in fact, the gospel of salvation, there is to be considered another message of good news or gospel, such as in this passage. John Woolvard uh, Walvoord, let's say it right, uh, explains in his commentary, and I quote, Some expositors use the term gospel to include all the revelation God has given in Christ and, hath, and hence conclude that there is only one gospel with various phases of truth belonging to this gospel. There are others who prefer to distinguish various messages in the Bible as gospel or good news, even though they contain only one aspect of divine revelation. Hence, the expression gospel of grace, referring to the goodness of grace or to the gospel of the kingdom, dealing with the good news of the kingdom of God. The everlasting gospel seems to be neither the gospel of grace nor the gospel of the kingdom, but rather the good news that God at last is about to deal with the world in righteousness and establish his sovereignty over the world. This is an ageless gospel in the sense that God's righteousness is ageless. Throughout eternity, God will continue to manifest himself in grace toward the saints and in punishment toward the wicked. To refer to the gospel of grace as an everlasting gospel is to ignore the context and usage of the term. And I, I've even been guilty of that. You have to be careful how you word things sometimes. Matthew Henry also says, and I quote, It is a work fit for an angel to preach this everlasting gospel such is the dignity, and such is the difficulty of that work. And yet we have this treasure in earthen vessels. 
end quote. Now, what Matthew Henry is saying that um, it makes sense that an angel uh, would be asked to preach in the sense of what we think of as glory and holy. Uh, angels are created beings. Uh, they don't face the difficulties we do, so it makes sense that they would have the message. But God did not use angels to bring us the message in preaching. He used ourselves. So what an honor it is when we have the ability uh, and the authority, the calling to preach. It, it's something special. Uh, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I marvel, uh, uh, again, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And in the next verse 9, he says, As we said before, so say I now again. And he said, If you didn't get it the first time, let me repeat it. He says, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. If you don't think that having another version of the Bible is that big of a deal, you read that verse as it is clearly spelled out and explain to me how it's okay. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. How, how, how do you define that? I don't see how you can make anything read through the lines of that one. That's pretty simple and pretty clear to me. Matthew Henry, again in his commentary, he says, When idolatry creeps into the churches of God, it is by the preaching of the gospel, attended by the power of the Holy Spirit, that men are turned from idols to serve the living God as the creator of the heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Re referencing Revelation 14, 7, the next verse. To worship any god besides him who created the world is idolatry. That's plain and simple. All right, in 19, oh, no, sorry, further back. In 1888, in 1888, Robert Alexander Watson published a book entitled Gospels of Yesterday, in which he discusses several authors who, having caught the popular ear, modified their Gospels, which is a correct term, to entice more followers. But with every single one of them, the world outgrew them and they faded away. But this everlasting gospel is forever. William Robertson Nichols said, uh, this gospel can pass from, and I quote, uh, can pass from country to country, from continent to continent, and be everywhere at home, which time cannot wither, uh, nor custom stale, which has the safe and certain reversion of all the future. End quote. Jay Stalker, writing for the publication Christian World Pulpit, asked the question, how can this gospel be eternal? Oh, sorry. How can this gospel be eternal? And then he gives two reasons why. First, it is the answer for the universal man. It is the answer for the universal man. Man, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
And then Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All is everybody. Nobody's excluded there. Every human being for all time has sinned. And every one of us have come short of the glory of God. So not only is it the answer for the universal man, it is also the answer for the particular man. The particular man. And Stalker answers that question uh, by saying, and I quote, uh, the gospel has a message for the difference in each specimen of human nature and for each quarter of the globe and each age of the world, as well as for that which is common to all. God has a special message for every age. His gospel has a word in season for every condition of life for the child and the young man in his prime and for old age, a word for the multitude and a word for the few. The Chinese, when they accept the gospel, will find secrets in it which the British have never discovered. The 20th century will discover phrases, phases of the Christian life which are lacking to the 19th. We have not exhausted Christ and we have not exhausted the gospel of Christ, end quote. And in that, uh, listen, this same gospel, um, as we've seen in this Bible, uh, has spoken to the hearts of the multitudes, uh, the ones gathered, the group of 12, the individual, uh, the rich man, as well as the beggar, the child sick of palsy, the mother with a fever, the demon-possessed man, the blind man, the withered man, the tax collector, the adulterous woman, the woman at the well, the fisherman, the doctor, the lame man, the leprous man, the crippled man, the respected Pharisee, the diseased woman, and it even spoke to a dead man. Yeah, even a dead man. Um, of course, that's symbolically or spiritually and physically. Remember, Lazarus come forth, <laughs> raised him from the dead. But spiritually, it speaks to us because we are all spiritually dead. Uh, Romans 6, 1 through 11, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized in Jesus, into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then John three seventeen it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. All right. So, first point there was that it is... I'm trying to get to my notes here. 
Uh. Ah, okay. Yeah, so concerning belief, uh, we've seen that the nature of this gospel is eternal in significance. The first part of verse 6, and now in the second part of verse 6, we'll see that it's universal in scope. <laughs> Sorry, I, I missed my notes there. It's universal in scope. Uh, and we see that in the phrase, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Now, to describe just how a task of this proportion could be accomplished, uh, let me see. Well, I don't know who I'm referring to here, but basically to describe how uh, a task of this proportion is possible, uh, notice the work of the British and Foreign Bible Society who have printed and circulated the Bible into all the inhabited world and in all languages spoken on the face of the earth. Now, according to the Wikipedia, and I'm going to quote, uh, the British and Foreign Bible Society dates back to 1804 when a group of Christians associated with the Religious Tract Society sought to address the problem of a lack of affordable Bibles in Welsh for Welsh-speaking Christians. Many young girls had walked long distances to Reverend Thomas Charles to get copies of the Bible. Later, the story was told of one of them, a young girl called Mary Jones, who walked over 20 miles to get a Bible in Bala Gwynedd, if I pronounced that right. G-W-Y-N-E-D-D. -D. Again, the emphasis here is that she walked 20 miles for a copy of the Bible. <laughs> Wonder who'd do that today. Uh, continuing the uh, quote here. During World War I, the Bible Society distributed more than 9 million copies of the Scripture in over 80 languages to combatants and prisoners of war on all sides of the war. Bible Society managed this despite immense challenges. Supply shortages, rising paper costs, paper rationing, submarine blockades, and the sinking of merchant shipping. Even greater than these physical difficulties was the emotional toll. Former colleagues suddenly found themselves fighting on opposing sides. Bible salesmen throughout Europe were conscripted or volunteered into the respective armies. The Bible Society responded to the challenge. They printed New Testaments bound in khaki, stamped with a cross for distribution via the Red Cross among sick and wounded soldiers, sailors, and prisoners of war. On average, between six and 7,000 volumes were sent out every working day for fighting men, the sick and wounded, the prisoners of war, exiles, and refugees. That's over four copies distributed every minute, day and night, for the duration of the war. Translation work never stopped. Between August 1914 and November 1918, Bible Society printed scriptures in 34 new languages and dialects. This meant, on average, there was one new version every seven weeks during the whole period of the war. For many years, the headquarters of the society was in London. In 1972, 
<clears throat> its address was 146 Queen, Victor yeah, Queen Victoria Street, E.C. number 4. By 1972, it had published or distributed whole Bibles or parts of the Bible in 1,431 languages at that time, 1972. It was distributing 173 million copies each year. <laughs> this... Sorry about that. This is a dedicated group of people here. I mean, you think about that. Uh, four copies every minute, day and night, for the duration of the war. And by 1972, they were distributing 173 million copies every year. Every year. That's crazy. <laughs> but you know what? When people are determined like that, and, and they're really committed to it. God always makes a way. I, 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 you read some of the, the stories of some of these missionaries um, and, and some of the dangers they faced, some of the tribulations they faced, and, and yet God held them together. And listen, it's not always about God saving their physical life. That doesn't, that did, doesn't always happen. But inevitably, some way and somehow, the story is the lives that they affected. They, God's light was able to shine through these people and, and, and led many of these people to, to the Lord. Uh, it, it's amazing. It's, it really is. It's amazing. Okay, um, so that covers verse 6. And um, we'll stop here uh, for this podcast and we'll pick up uh, verse 7 uh, in our next podcast. Okay? Spend a whole section on one verse that, that's the way it is when you know when you go through the book of revelation uh we pull out little nuggets like that that story of the bible society i'm sure many of you've never even heard of that and and that's what i like to do when i'm teaching uh just just pull up to the next phrase park where we're at and just exhaust it for everything there is in it squeeze all the juice out <laughs> maybe something um you know that maybe it affects you in one way and it affects another in another way, uh, but it could be the one thing that you're looking for and, and, and needed, and it, it may, you know, just change your life. Not me, but God's Word. That's, that's what, it's a living, it's a living thing. And, and how can it not affect us that way? It has no choice but to affect us that way. Okay, so uh, we'll stop here again. Uh, thank you for listening. Um Thank you so much for listening. I can't tell you enough. Um, I, I'm just uh, glad that I uh, have the ability um, to do this. Uh, I, I thought about it for many years and finally found a way to do it, and it was through uh, this website, and, and it's for free. So why would I charge for it when I'm not charged for it, right? So that's the way I look at it. Uh, it's just getting the Word of God out there. That's what it's about. So... Uh, thank you once again for listening. Uh, God bless you, and I hope you have a great day.